0: Thank you for watching today's message. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at mosaicneo.org give. And don't forget to share your story with us by emailing us at connect at mosaicneo.org. The number one person standing in the way of God's life for you is you. I hope you already knew that. Like, I, honestly, if you're sitting here, like, who's he gonna say? If you didn't know, I'm a little worried for you. I, I, already out the gate. I'm a little worried that, that we need to back up and do more work, but it's you. I mean, think about it. If you're sitting here going, I don't know, I've got some people in my life. But think about it. You've, you've lied to you more than anyone else on the planet. You know that? You have. I don't even care if you live with a liar. You've lied more, right? Just one more, liar. Right? I'll start my diet on Monday, liar. Uh, I'll buy that just one thing from Target. Liar. You, you, lie. you lie all the time. You lie to yourself all the time, right? And, and no one's meaner to you than you. Some of the stuff you say to you inside your head, you'd never say to anybody else. And you, you're, you're just mean to you. No one's harder on you than you. No one's hurt you more consistently than you. No one's made decisions that have damaged your life more than you. No one gives you more trouble than you. I feel like you know that. If you really do like an honest self-evaluation of your life, you know that you are the one you are standing in the way of the life that God has for you. Now, Galatians 5, uh, 16 and 17 tell us at least part of the reason why this is... Uh, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. I love that last part. You're not free to carry out your own good intentions. How many of you have good intentions that never came to fruition? Plenty, every day, right? And this verse tells you why. You're not free. I mean, if you could get you under control, you'd be something special, right? You would be, you would be. But there's this fight inside of you. There's this, you can't just do the right thing, right? You have to fight to do the right thing. And you've all experienced this before, right? You've had this idea, I'm gonna do this, and then you end up not doing it. And something happened along the way. This this fight along the way prevented you from doing it this internal battle, this struggle. God's spirit and your sinful nature at war. Now a couple verses later, it tells us what it would look like if the Holy Spirit just, just guided our lives. If we completely submitted to the Holy Spirit, it's in uh, starting in verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Um, growing up in church, I had to memorize the fruit of the Spirit. There's nine of them, and I memorized them. It's a very different thing, though, to know them and to actually <laughs> live them, right? Uh, so this is what would happen if the Holy Spirit guided your life. These things would start to manifest themselves in your life. You'd be more loving. You'd be more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind. You'd, you'd be good and faithful and gentle and, and have self control. Now, I, I want to focus on one of these today. Uh, the last one is the one I really want to zoom in on today, self-control. Now, I know that when you woke up this morning and you started thinking, I wonder what Pastor's going to talk about today. You know what I really hope it is? Self-control. I just love that subject, right? Is everybody everybody's on the same page? Good. Um, yeah, this is a tough one, right? This is like one of those sexy topics that we talk about in church. Like, yeah, this is it. I don't know why I called it sexy not attractive, it's not one that we want. Um, but listen, so as much as I'm like, yeah, I, I get it, this is not a, uh, doesn't have momentum all by itself, um, we're in this series called Limitless, and what we're talking about is these limits that we place on ourselves, right? Uh, the, the limits that, that, these mindsets, these patterns, these ways of thinking that you actually limit you. Um, more than, than some outside forces limiting you, you limit you. And I, I think the most consistent way that we place a limit on ourselves is by lacking self-control. We limit ourselves by not controlling ourselves, which is a weird thing to say, by the way. Um, limiting yourself by not having self-control because self-control is basically a, a self-imposed limit. So basically what I'm saying is you limit yourself by not limiting yourself. You follow? You do, you get it. All right. Some of you are like, ooh, that's deep, and you want to pretend to get it. Let me add a little bit more. Um, you limit yourself in the long term by not limiting yourself in the short term. Make more sense now? You limit yourself in the long term. You limit yourself out there by not limiting yourself in the moment. Does that make more sense? That, that, that's really what we're after here today. You limit yourself by not limiting yourself. So uh, here's a definition of self-control. It's not like an all-encompassing definition. It's just one that I liked. The ability to tell yourself no. The ability to tell yourself no. No, I will not eat that donut. No, I will not eat those donuts because I already failed in the first one, so now it's. No, I will not click that buy now button. No, I will not text him back, whoever he is. No, I will not lash out emotionally right now. No, I'm gonna tell myself no. That is self-control. Little side note on that. In order to believe that self-control is a good thing, you have to admit that some of your desires are wrong. Right. You have to actually say, hey, some of the things I want aren't actually good. And that's an important, this is like a premise, like the, the, the prerequisite to actually talking about self-control. If you don't believe that some of your, your desires are wrong, then this is useless to you. Just go at it, man. Follow your heart wherever it tells you to go. You know what our, our society calls that today is being true to yourself. You know, go wherever your desires take you. But, but if you want to do that, then this is completely useless. Just do whatever you want. Um, but I just, I just want to point out, again, like, evidence in your life says that you following your desires doesn't always lead to a good place. Again, just if you can do some honest self-evaluation, when you follow your heart, it's told you to do some dumb things, right? Your heart has led you to places that are, that are harmful to you. So if you, you have to kind of admit that, hey, some of my desires, some of these things that pop up inside of me, they hurt me, ultimately. They're not good for me. So if you can acknowledge that your desires are not always right, that some of the things you want in the moment aren't good for you, then you're going to need this. You're going to need to be able to say no to you. So uh, if we can all be honest and say, hey, I've, made, I've d- made some dumb decisions based off of my desires, therefore I need to be able to tell myself no. Good. Um, now, I wanna, what I want to do is I want to look at a Bible story today. We're going to do an overview of a guy who did something amazing. Amazing. But in order to get there, he had to tell himself no a lot, okay? Um, he had to have self-control. It's the story of a guy named Nehemiah. Now, we're not going to do his story justice at all. It's, it's more than 10 chapters long, and we're going to zoom. We're barely going to hit any of the verses, and then I just kind of want to give you a 30,000-foot zoom over uh, Nehemiah. So real quick backstory, if you don't know who Nehemiah is, uh, the people of Israel have been conquered, okay? They were living in the promised land, the land that God promised to give them. They were living there, and they stopped, Following God. So God allowed other nations to come in and conquer them. And uh, back then there was kind of this practice to uh, what they would, the uh, conquering nation would come in and they'd take like the best and the brightest, the leaders of the of the country and they'd take them into exile back to their capital city. And they'd kind of integrate them into their system, and they would leave behind, you know, the menial workers, the people who who you know don't have a lot of leadership qualities, who aren't going to lead some kind of rebellion. They'd leave them there to work the land, and to, so that the land could still be useful for the conquering kingdom. So Nehemiah is one of the people who's in exile. He's in the foreign country's capital city, uh, working there far from home. Now, uh, I'm not going to go into a bunch of details, but. Power has turned over a couple times by now, and actually, the leaders of the conquered nation are allowing some people to come home. And there's some some back and forth happening, just a little bit. Now, Nehemiah, his job in this foreign city is a cup bearer. Basically, that just means that he would hand the king his cup. He'd take a sip first to make sure it wasn't poisoned, and hand the king his cup. So, uh, good news, bad news on that. You get wine every single day in this job. Okay, I guess. Plus, but then negative, you could die literally every time you take a sip. So I don't know, it's somewhere in between. But for the most part, pretty cushy job. Uh, He got to rub elbows with the most powerful man on the planet every single day of his life. So it's a a high up position that Nehemiah has. Now, so he's living his life over here in this capital city. And then his brother was one of the guys who kind of did the back and forth thing. He went home and then he came back and he gives this report about what's happening back home in verse 3. Uh, they said to me, his brother and a couple other guys, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So Jerusalem, that was the capital city of home. is not, not going well there. The walls are torn down, the gates are destroyed and, and the people are in trouble. So when a city has its walls torn down, there's no defense uh, there's no order, there's no law, it's just kind of chaos when that happens. And this is the state of Nehemiah's hometown. And he feels called by God to do something about this. When he hears about this, something happens in his spirit. You ever hear about a need and you're just like, man, I'm, I feel like I'm the one that's supposed to do something about it. I'm supposed to play a part in, in helping with that. This is what happens to Nehemiah when he hears this. He wants to do something about this problem. There are people hurting, there are people in need, and God nudges him to act, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. God gives Nehemiah a purpose. Um. I, keep, I feel like I keep having side notes here for you, but this is important. Um, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, and what I mean by Christian um, is you've given your, your life over to Jesus. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. You believe that he died for your sins. You don't just believe that Jesus died. You don't just believe that Jesus died for the sins of the world. You believe Jesus died for you. You know what I mean? Because you make this, you make this personal Um, you believe that he died for your sins in your place and you've asked for and received forgiveness based off of what he did. That's what it means to be a Christian. So we're all on the same page. I want you to know though, Christian, that Jesus did not just die on the cross so that you could go to heaven when you die. I'll let that land for a minute. That's a big part of it. That's a huge piece of it. And obviously it's one that has eternal uh, ramifications, but um, that's not the whole thing. He also wants to change you Now. He wants to transform you now, starting now. Um, He didn't just save you from something, he saved you to something. Yes, heaven, but also mission and purpose and life now. Christianity is not supposed to be just like a piece of your life. It's supposed to infect every aspect of your life. God wants to change you and then through you change the world. That's that's what this is supposed to be. And the reason I told you that, listen, listen, Maybe I'll get in trouble for this. I don't care. Some of the worst people I know are people who think that Christianity is only about getting to heaven. Did you hear that? Some of the worst people I know because they just think it's all about that and then they don't change at all and they tend to be the ones who are the least loving and allow God to work in their lives the least because they think they're set. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for us. I want to be a church that understands that, man, the moment you realize, the moment like God opened up your heart and and Jesus just kind of got a hold of you, that that was the moment that God wanted to start like working. That's the moment God wanted to start doing something. He wasn't like, oh, good, they're saved. Now I'll see you guys in heaven. Bye. Like that was was the beginning of something. He wants to start using you now. He wants to change you and then change the world through you. And that's what's happening here in, in Nehemiah he realizes that, oh man, God's getting after me here. God wants to change something inside of me and then he wants to use me to change the world. So that's important. I hope you understand that. Um, First hurdle for Nehemiah is to go to talk to the king about this. Now the king is the one who has Israel captive. The king is probably very much okay with the walls of Jerusalem being torn down. Nehemiah could even be executed for even asking this question, but he knows he has to do it. This is the thing that God is nudging him towards. So, so imagine what's going on inside of him in this moment. You gotta really think about, man, don't just read these stories. You gotta get inside Nehemiah. he's got this nudge from God. I, I have this purpose now, but then immediately, the moment he gets the nudge, fear comes back and pushes back, right? Ooh, but I could like totally die. Like this might not work. And And maybe even not just fear, maybe a little bit of, I really kind of like my job. Like, this is actually, I got a good thing going over here. I'm like, I I sit in the king's court every single day. Like, this is a good, you're telling me I want to go back to some broken down city. Like, he's got to have these these dual feelings going on. And so I'm, yes, he's drawn to purpose, but he's also kind of held back by comfort. So, Part of him wants to go after this mission. Part of him maybe wants to stay. So he has to tell at least a part of himself no, right? He has to have this self-control. The part of himself that would choose comfort over conviction, he has to say no. The part of himself that would choose pleasure over purpose, convenience over calling, he has to say no to that in order to pursue purpose. That's a a huge piece of self-control. And I think all of us face this. You can choose to be comfortable or you can choose your calling. They're probably not going to be the same. So Nehemiah here in this moment has to tell himself no in order to be used by God in a great way. And I believe the same thing is true for you. What part of your life right now are you choosing comfort over conviction, pleasure over purpose, convenience over calling? If you can't tell yourself no, it's a limit. Because you're saying yes here, but by saying yes in the moment all the time, you're saying no to the bigger thing. You know that? That's a sense, you're making this trade. You're, You're trading the big purpose for right now comfort. So you're limiting yourself by not limiting yourself. If you don't purposely limit some things in the moment, you will inherently limit some things in the future. You'll never choose it. You'll never actually say I'm not choosing that future. You're just not choosing that future by constantly choosing to do the thing that only benefits you in the moment. So you'll never hit the point where you're, you, you officially say you gave up on the dream because you, you never actually say it. It dies one in the moment decision at a time. Wow, that was really good. That's not even written down. That's how I know it's good. That's so horrible. Why do you guys come to this church? What's wrong with me? So Nehemiah does it. you know the story, he, he pushes through. He goes to talk to the king and God moves. It's amazing. Not only does the king say yes, the king funds the, the mission. He's just like, here, I'll give you letters. You can, have, you can have materials. You can have safe passage. He'll even give you the king's guard if you want it. Like, go. So, so Nehemiah gets this huge yes. So he makes this trip from the capital of the conquering nation to Jerusalem. And now he's in Jerusalem. And the first thing he wants to do is, is kind of get a handle of what the situation is. So he, he goes out at night and he inspects uh, what was formerly Jerusalem's walls and is now piles of rubble. Right, he wants to go out at night because he want people asking questions. He's not ready to have a conversation about what he's there to do yet. He just wants to kind of see what's up. So he walks around this city. Just imagine, walk around the city at night. He's got to have some kind of lamp or torch or something. And he just, it's just rubble everywhere. It's just stone everywhere. Because don't think, when you think walls of Jerusalem, don't think like the fence in your backyard. This is a 10 or 20 foot high, 10 foot thick stone wall this thing's huge and it was decimated so it's just boom imagine a 20 foot high 10 foot thick stone wall being torn down can you just imagine it would just be rocks and, and debris everywhere that's so is walking around this entire city just like it looks like a war zone because it was one right they, they came in and they just destroyed this place nobody's fixed it yet so it's just mess everywhere can you imagine what's starting to go through his head at that point Okay, so I got the yes from the king. I even got a lot of like cool things that even happened like over and above what I was asking for. And now here I am like in the face of the thing. This is a really big project. A lot of work. So many things need done. There's no gates on any of the openings. Not one rock on top of another one. Whew. Okay. Maybe he was tempted to change his mind. Like, maybe I should just, like, that wine was really good. (laughs) Wine was really good, (laughs) right? Or maybe we should go slow. Maybe we shouldn't start right now. Maybe I should just, you know, be here for a year and kind of get a feel for stuff. I'm sure there's a lot of hesitation going on in Nehemiah's mind. Have you ever been there? Have you ever seen a project from a distance and got excited about it? and, And then, like when you get closer to the thing and it's time to actually like put the boots on the ground, you're like, ooh, yeah, this is not the same. <laughs> like I liked it from a, from a distance. I like my idea from a distance, but now that I'm here into like execution mode, ooh, this is, this is hard. This is, this is gonna be a lot of work. From distance, it seemed like a really cool idea, but now that I'm here, ah, and you just kinda, you start to have that internal like dialogue. You're talking to yourself inside of your own mind. Like, I don't know, it's like a cool idea, but maybe, maybe not. And the emotional pushback starts and you start to lose interest before you've even started. Isn't that crazy? That's just a crazy thing that happens. And then what do you say? What do you say? I, I, I have a guess. We, we all say something similar. Um, like, I just, I just don't, I'm just not motivated to do this right now. Something like that, right? Like, I don't, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling motivated. And um, well, the truth is you're not. You're absolutely right. You're not motivated. Because um, I actually think, um, the way motivation works is, is different than the way we think it does. In the beginning of something, I don't think you need motivation, I think you need discipline, the, the ability to like tell yourself to do something, or self-control, the ability to tell yourself no. Um, motivation comes later. The way I look at motivation is it comes when you've strung a couple of wins together. You know what I'm saying? Like, like motivation is kind of like momentum. Once the thing starts, then you've got, then you've got motivation. So, uh, yeah, you, you work out for a couple of weeks, you don't want to miss now, because you're, you're in that rhythm, you know? You've got a couple hundred bucks saved, and you want to you wanna grow that thing, you don't want it to shrink. Uh, you've got a, a streak on your Bible app that, that actually is in double digits, and you're like, man, I don't want that to go back down to, to one, so I, I want to keep it going. That's momentum, as, as you've actually got a couple of wings wins strung together. But in the beginning, you don't have that. You just have to tell yourself, no, we're going to do this. Stop hesitating. I have to do it. In the beginning, you have to have self-control, not motivation. You can't keep a streak if you never start one. You know what I'm saying? Don't buy into the lie that you need motivation to start. Motivation comes later. Discipline is the thing that starts it. Having, having motivation in the beginning, is rare. It's, it's rare. It's possible, and here's one way. You could watch Rocky legit. And then you're going to want to do one-handed push-ups and catch a chicken in your backyard and you'll be excited for a while, right? But that's kind of like, that's a high, but it doesn't, it's like drinking sugar water and then you're immediately hungry again. You know what I'm saying? It'll give you that little, and then it's not there. Like if you're just relying on, I'm just going to wait until I'm motivated, you're going to be waiting a long time. It just doesn't come. Motivation comes when you've been doing it for a while. So don't believe that lie. I believe that had to have been something that Nehemiah ran into as he's walked around like, oh my gosh, I'm just maybe not feeling it. He pushes through, he pushes through and uh, he makes this speech to the people of Jerusalem and they decide we're gonna do this thing, we're gonna rebuild the walls. Even though it's a mess, we're gonna do it. So they start and I wish I could tell you that it was this perfectly straight, gradually increasing line from start to finish. Wouldn't that be awesome? It was just like, look, every single day we make this perfect kind of progress until boom, there it was done. But that's not the story. Because that's not any story, right? None, I hope you don't like hope for that. It's, it's not a thing to say, I'm starting here, I'm gonna end here, and it's gonna be this. No, it's not. It's, it's gonna be all kinds of ups and downs. And that's what happens with Nehemiah. So um, one of the setbacks happens in chapter four, verse 10. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved, so much. We'll never be able to build a wall. By ourselves, which is an awesome statement because like, who else is gonna do it? I don't understand what they're asking for here. Uh, but it's getting difficult now. The grind is starting to get to them. They're starting to get uncomfortable, starting to be painful. It hurts to keep going. And the temptation to, to quit sneaks in. And just imagine, they're, they're moving there are tons of rock, just weight on top of weight. Their hands have to be like blistered and bloody and their, their back has to be, you know, that point where your back just kind of doesn't move and you're just kind of like a board just trying to bend over. Their legs have to be nearly useless and shaky and they're just like, nehemiah, I don't know if we can, it, it would hurt to keep going. It would hurt to keep going. So I have a question. It's a weird question. What is your relationship with pain? Like, how do you think about it? I know, like, the answer is I don't like it, <laughs> right? That's a simple one. But how do you respond when something starts to hurt? Because, uh, like, physically or physiologically, um, we're designed to avoid it, right? If you put your hand on a stove, you, you, you pull back. It, you, almost, you don't have to think about it. You just pull back. It's a reflex, right? Um, if you twist your ankle, you just automatically kind of start limping. You don't really have to think about it. Your body just kind of naturally says, let's not do the thing that hurts. And you also do this emotionally too, right? If somebody hurts you, you, you just don't trust them as much, right? That, that, and you don't, I don't even know that you have to make a conscious choice for that. Something just kind of regulates inside of you. Your trust goes down and you recoil a little bit. So both physically and emotionally, we're, I think we're designed by God to... Pull away from pain. And that's on purpose, right? We need that. Because if you just went bull ahead and and didn't care if you got hurt all the time, you'd be seriously, seriously in trouble. So God designed us to avoid pain. But not all pain's the same. Not all pain is the same. So I saw this quote this week. Uh, I don't know much about this lady. She's not a Christian, but I thought it was a cool quote. She said this. One of the principal qualities of pain is that it demands an explanation. But that's deep, isn't it? That's deep. That you, you need an explanation when you're hurt. It, again, it's almost reflexive. You almost ask automatically, why? You step on something and it hurt. And you're like, well, every other step didn't hurt. Why did this step hurt? You pull your head up for Lego, right? Like there, there it is. Like I have children. That's my explanation as to why my foot hurts because I'm walking and my children don't put the toys away, right? That's, that's pretty common all the time in my house. Uh, you wake up and my shoulder hurts. Why? Because I slept funny. Because I'm old, evidently. And that's a thing now. That's a thing now. Did you know that? Mid-30s. Just randomly wake up with injuries. How'd you get hurt? Sleeping. For real. I can't, like, I feel like somebody tore my rotator cuff in the arm I don't even throw with, and all it was was sleeping. See, now that's annoying. And, And I want a better explanation. But see... Some pain's different. So for example, if I wake up in the morning, my legs are sore, but the explanation is that I worked out the day before, I'm kind of okay with that. Now, I don't like not being able to get up the stairs. Like that's not fun, but it's a lot better if I have this reason that I'm like, you know what? That's what I wanted. I wanted to feel like I worked out. So I'm a little sore, but it's it's kind of a good kind of sore. It's kind of a good kind of sore. And maybe that doesn't make any sense to you, but if you work out semi-regularly, you'll understand like this is a good sore because you feel like you're doing something. It's a, there's a reason, there's an explanation for it. So I think this is really, really important when it comes to self-control. Like You have to, have to, have to understand this. Sometimes you're going to have to tell yourself to do something that hurts, something that's uncomfortable, something that you would rather not do. That is the definition of self-control. But you will not succeed in this thing unless you have a big enough why behind it. You have to have an explanation that you actually care about you have to have a why that's bigger than the pain, okay? So if you have a big enough why, you can push through the pain, And I think that's that's so, so, so important. You know, building this wall, it, it sucks, it's hard, my back is breaking, my hands are bleeding, I don't wanna do this anymore. But then Nehemiah gets up and says, hey, but yeah, think about what it's gonna be like when this wall's done. Think about the city that's gonna be vibrant. Think about all the people In the city and even in the region, they're gonna benefit from Jerusalem becoming what it's supposed to be again. Think about the economic boom that this is gonna create. Think about everybody's lives are gonna be better because this wall's rebuilt. And all of a sudden, you're like, okay, all right. I guess I'll move this really big rock right here and keep going because the why is bigger than the pain of continuing. I really care about the reason for the pain, so I'm gonna keep pushing through the pain. You're never gonna be able to, to, keep, to have self-control if you don't have a big enough why that's, that you're going towards to push through the pain. So all the little things in your life, all those in the moment things that are maybe not painful, but, but inconveniences or uncomfortable or just desires that are unmet, it's not a pleasant thing, right? We like to have our desires met. But if you can say no to those things because there's a bigger why, then you'll get there. You know, I really want that pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks, but we're saving for a house. So I'm gonna say no to that because I have a bigger why, right? I really wanna eat that entire row of Oreos right now, but I'm trying to be healthier. If you're vain, I'm you know, going on vacation in a couple months and I wanna look a certain way. So that's my why and it's bigger than my desire and, and the, the pain it's gonna cost me to say no to that. I really don't wanna to go to counseling, but I want a healthy marriage. So, so my why is bigger than the, the pain that it was going to cost me to go through this, so I'm going to do it because my why is big enough. So when it comes to self-control, I think the thing you have to ask yourself is what's my why? What's my why? What's my reason? Why am I doing this? If, if my why is big enough, then, then I can push through this pain. I can do it. Again, you limit yourself by not limiting yourself. You, 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 <laughs> Think about that, if you choose to say yes in the moment, to be lazy in the moment, look at what you're saying no to. You're actually saying no whether you realize it or not. Some of those big whys out there, you're you're saying no to those big things in order to say yes to little things. You're trading what you want most for what you want now. That's a terrible trade, terrible trade. You need the ability to push through temporary pain for a greater purpose. A reason why that is bigger than your pain, that's what you need. So uh, again, Nehemiah pushes through, they keep building. And then what happens is they, get, they have some enemies. So it, while the, you could tell like the limits were kind of them, you know, their ability to keep going. And then the limits become all of a sudden, now there are people on the outside saying, we don't want this wall built. Uh, they had economic and political reasons for not wanting the wall to be built. <laughs> no, nothing, okay. <laughs> Just so you know, it was the refugees building the wall this time, so it's a little different. <laughs> um, but funny how history continues to repeat itself. Um, so they have these enemies who are trying all kinds of things to get them to stop. They're spreading rumors, they're threatening attack, all this kind of stuff keeps happening throughout the weeks, and eventually they realize, man, they're just not stopping. So they try to get a meeting with Jeremiah or Nehemiah, they want Nehemiah to come meet with them. Now it's a trap, they're going to kill him. He doesn't know that at the time. Uh, but they're, they're like, hey, come meet with us. We need to have a conversation about this whole wall thing. And uh, his response is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's uh, Nehemiah 6, verse three. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? I love that. That's like the ancient version of new phone who this, you know, I'm like this, I I don't need this right now. I've got something else going on that's really big and really important so I don't have time to deal with this petty little stuff, okay, my mission's too big, my purpose is too big, I'm not doing that. I love that, I love that. But here's the thing, I bet it was tempting. I bet it was tempting. They want to meet, good. Good, about time. Like, I want to give them a piece of my mind. Maybe I want to give them more than a piece of my mind. By the way, Nehemiah is not, he, he's, he's no slouch. This dude's tough. He's a scrapper. If you read the whole story, you get to like, I think it's chapter 13 or 14. He's like pulling dudes around by their beards. And I'm not kidding. Like legit, just like pulling guys around by their beards. So he's tough. He, he probably wants a piece of these guys. He's sick of them pestering them for, for weeks and weeks. You know what? Let's do this. He could have been very, uh, he could have justified it. Like, yeah, I'll, I'm coming, I'm coming. But he had to tell himself no. I've got too much going on. I've, I've, got, I've got this great work that God's called me to. Why would I stop just to go do that? Just to go fight with you? No, no. In the first part of uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter uh, from Birmingham jail, he says this is really cool. Seldom do I pause to answer criticism of my work and ideas. If I sought to answer all the criticism that crossed my desk, my secretaries would have little time for anything else, uh, for anything other than such correspondence in the course of the day. And I would have no time for constructive work. So basically what he's saying is, if I answered critics, that's all I'd do. If if I decided to fight with everybody who invited me to a fight, all I would do is fight. So I just don't do it. I'm, I'm caught up in a great work. I'm not not coming down to do that. That's basically, this is a a Nehemiah 6.3 message from Martin Luther King Jr. to his critics saying, I don't have time for that. I'm called to way too big of a thing to stop and fight with you. And once you know the same thing's true in your life, If if you show up to every fight that you're invited to, that's all you'll do. You know that? That's all you'll do is fight. Fights will crowd out your purpose. Dealing with your critics will crowd out your purpose, especially once you pursue your purpose, especially once you actually start actively going after the thing that God's called you to. There's going to be plenty of people who have a problem with it for one reason or another. If you stop to fight with every single one of them, that, that's what Satan wants, by the way. He doesn't even care if you win the fight. He just wants you to be distracted from doing the thing that God's called you to do. You don't have to show up to every fight you're invited to. Some of y'all, you need to write Nehemiah 6.3 on a sticky note and stick it to your steering wheel and memorize that thing, right? You do not have to show up to every fight you're invited to. You have a purpose. You have a calling. You don't have time to fight everybody who pokes at you. You need to be able to tell yourself no. When you see that thing on Facebook where you're just like, I just want to tell them what to... Don't. Why? You don't have the emotional energy. Listen, you... Some of y'all wonder why you're so tired. You show up to every fight you're invited to. That's why you're tired. You're emotionally exhausted from fighting everybody. And you're like, oh my gosh. And God's like, dude, (laughs) like, what are you doing down there? Will you stop? You don't have to. I got this. You don't got to fight everybody who who asks for one. Say no. That's self-control. So Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem finished the wall in 52 days which is crazy. It's miraculous in and of itself, just the ability to finish the wall in that amount of time. So you know what the difference is between like Nehemiah in the beginning of the story, Nehemiah drinking, sipping wine with the king and then Nehemiah standing on top of this wall that's done. You know what the difference between that guy and this guy is? In just 52 days, he had to say no to himself over and over and over again. No, Nehemiah, no, Nehemiah, no, Nehemiah, no, Nehemiah, no, Nehemiah, no Nehemiah. accomplished. Here we are. He, he had to repeatedly, in just 52 days, tell himself no over and over and over again. I think the same thing's true for you. The difference between you sitting here right now and then the you that God has called you to be, the you that is that is accomplishing this mission, accomplishing this purpose, this person over here, the difference between the two Is your ability to tell yourself no over and over and over again. In the moment, little things, no, 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 because I'm doing this. No, no, I I got a bigger purpose. I got a bigger mission. Here I am. That's the difference between you right now and the the you that God's calling you to be. Is your ability to, in the moment, tell yourself no to these little things because you got something bigger you're called to. Choosing what you want most over what you want now. Pushing through temporary discomfort for a long-term satisfaction. I guess I'm, I'm like worried that we have this unhealthy relationship with pain. Like we view all pain as an emergency, you know? Like all dysfunct comfort is an emergency, all hardship is an emergency. Like we need to get rid of it immediately. But it's not. It's not. You have to push back those naturally occurring instincts. I believe you're designed to to want to avoid pain, but I think you're going to have to push back through that because some pain has purpose. Some pain is preparing you for your calling, so don't push away from all pain. Some of it you need to push through. You need to live your life, I mean, if if you live your life with like pain avoidance as your ultimate good, you're never going to live out your purpose. Never. You, You won't. You won't be the person God created you to be. If you just avoid pain constantly, if that's your number one strategy in life, you'll never live out your purpose. You actually have to choose pain sometimes. Not because you're a masochist, but because you know the pain has a purpose. And the thing I would just the sentence I would sum it all up with is long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. Too many Christians take the off-ramp the moment things get difficult. The moment it starts to hurt, the moment discomfort sets in, this must not be what God wants. I, I can't, it could, couldn't possibly be what God wants. It's hard now. you will never be the person God created you to be if you quit every time it gets hard. If you pack up and leave every time something's painful, if you push away from the table every time you're uncomfortable, you're never gonna be the person God's called you to be. You need to have a healthier view of pain God wants to use it. God wants to actually, pain is a part of the process, right? This you actually isn't ready for this yet. You're not. Pain is part of the preparation. Pain is part of the process of you becoming that person who can actually do the things that God's called you to do. If you don't have the pain, you wouldn't be ready. If you could just teleport from this end to that end, you'd get destroyed over here. God's gonna use all this to get you ready for that. So man, stop Stop shutting down every time it starts to hurt. You can't. You can't do that. You know, even relationally, like you can't do that. You can't push away from the table every time it starts to hurt. You can't. You can't. Lean in. Lean in. God's gonna do something with it. Now, I don't have enough time to talk about this, but it's really important, so let me end with this. <laughs> when it comes to self-control, here's my, here's my kicker at the end of all this. You actually can't do it Trick to you. You can't control yourself. At least not for long. You can't, you can't. Um, what I'm telling you to do is basically impossible in the long term. Uh, they've even done studies on willpower that willpower is a, is a limited resource and that you only have a certain amount and once you use it, you like, need time to recharge and if you don't recharge, you, you don't have it. You'll just, you'll just break down. Um, now it's like a muscle, you can get more but over, it takes a long time. So you have a limited amount of willpower, you don't have enough to do everything I just told you to do. You don't, sorry. Bye. But this, by the way, this is why you do good sometimes. You do good in spurts, right? That's what not that weird? You wish you could be that person all the time. The person who, man, I'm doing it. I'm saying no to myself, nailing it. And then all of a sudden you hit that, you're like, oh, fall flat on your face. And then you have another season where you pick it back up again. It's because your your willpower ran out. You fall flat on your face. You're terrible for a while. It kind of recharges. And then you get back up and you keep going and you fall flat on your face again. That's because you're relying on yourself. But remember what the the verses that we looked at in the beginning said that that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. That the way to actually control yourself is to surrender yourself. That you have to rely on the Holy Spirit's power, not yours. That that self-control is actually a byproduct of relying on God. Did you not, like that's a fruit. In order for fruit to exist, you have to have a stronger root system and the root system is relying on God, not you. So if your strategy is to just, oh man, I'm inspired by this, I'm motivated now, it'll last five seconds, I promise. Uh, And then you're gonna grit your teeth and you're gonna try real hard to do these things, you're gonna fail, you're going to. But instead of willpower, I think you need to trust God's power, trust in the Holy Spirit to give you success. I think this is one of the reasons why the Bible has that verse that says, pray without ceasing, and you look and go, that's impossible, because you can't do it. Right? You need the Holy Spirit like, every moment of the day to be able to live the life that God wants you to live. So it's like, you're just gonna have to always pray. You're gonna always be like, God help me. God be with me, right? I mean, that, that makes sense now in the light of this to say, I can't do this on my own. And by the way, I hate this. Just so you know, like, to sit here and tell you, ah, you gotta rely on the Spirit's power, not yours. How? What does that even mean, right? Like, that's cool. But I guess for me, here's the way this has worked in my life is like I have to wake up literally every day and go, God, I am going to suck today <laughs> if you don't help me, legitimately. Like I don't even have any expectations on this week. I'm gonna be a bad father, a bad husband, not a good leader. I'm going to be terrible this week unless you help me. I can't do it. I just can't, I can't, I cannot muster anything. There's nothing in here to pull out at this point. I need you, I desperately need you, God. Right here, as we're singing, I'm like, look, you, you better show up. <laughs> you brought all these people here. It's your problem. If you don't show up, we're in trouble, Lord. Like, I, I have this awareness that I just am not enough. And that there is something powerful about that, is praying the prayer, God, I can't do it. It sounds like a position of of weakness, but that really is where God wants you to say, I actually just can't do this, God. I can't. And that's the moment that he shows up is when you throw your hands in the air and say, I'm toast without you. I need you. I need you. And I need you every single day, every single moment. I can't do this. There's like a desperateness to it. And maybe some of you, may, maybe this is the time because like you've been trying the willpower thing for so long and you had those streaks where you're like, yes, I'm doing it. And then you fall and, and you're tired of that cycle. Maybe today's the day you just say, yeah, I can't, God, I can't, I can't, I need you. I need you, I desperately, desperately need you. And the moment you can get to that place I think that's where some consistent progress can be made and I think then you'll be able to start to tell yourself no because you got help now. You got an infinite resource in God. He's gonna actually help you say no now. That's what you need. You need complete desperate dependence on God.